it's no harder. You're talking about how hard it is and how people are intimidated. It's no harder to lead a plan life and persist and do, you know, follow a plan, execute it and do it with persistence than it is to jump from idea to idea or play with soundbite stuff and get nowhere. Right. It, where I came to this was when, when I work with clients on wealth plans and the whole premise is, you know, you're going to, you're going to work anyway. Why not design your life so it results in financial freedom earlier than old? Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your hosts, Tim Picararo and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Megan. And I'm Timotheus. And we're glad you can join us as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So, Tim, here we are. Hello, episode 37. Episode 37. 37. Hey, prime in the front. It is a prime number. Yeah. Hey. That's where your happy place. It is my happy place. You should do a dance. Good happy dance. I have a good happy dance. No, I've seen it. Okay, you danced like Elaine on the episode of Seinfeld. I just put it out there in the world. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, it's kind of like a cross between River Dance and Elaine. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's because my happy dance is supposed to be like. I wonder funny. how many people would like to see it on the interwebs. <laughs> well, if there's a request, request, okay, there has to be at least. Um, there has to be like oh, a threshold of people who request how many? it. Five. Five people. Please, five <laughs> people. Five. E- okay, you can do it on our Twitter account at Uphill Convo. Mm-hmm. You could do it on Facebook, yep. Uphill Conversations. Yes. You can email. You should email me, okay, <laughs> because that way I can no, really. No, no, you have to email me uh, because Tim will try to like, he'll try to fluff up the numbers. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I'm going to create some fake Google accounts and send them. <laughs> like, look. Okay, so then, okay, she wants five people, and she will, I will, we will, like, Facebook Live or something this dance. <laughs> a happy dance. A happy dance. And with some music behind it. We have to have music with it. Okay. We'll have to think about what that is. No, you can't. This is getting on. Oh, you have to pick it, it? I get to pick a random song, and you have to do that. Dance. Or or our listeners could suggest. suggest songs. Okay, so here's the new thing. <laughs> Five of you send an email to see this dance that is a cross between Elaine on Seinfeld and River Dance. I think it has to be a social media request via social media. Be- okay, we keep going now. So now the new rule is <laughs> you're one of those people in the family that change rules of the games. They do. Oh my god! I'm the youngest. I gotta, that I gotta so get terrible. in there and okay. Mess so at up. <laughs> uphill combo for Twitter at uphill combo yes. or on our Facebook, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It has to be at least five people with a song suggestion. Yes, they have to pick a song too, mm-hmm. and we'll pick one of them randomly. And the songs don't have to match. Now it can't be five people that pick the same song. No, no, no. Okay, so you're match. like trying to create those no. odds. Okay, no. because I know you. You'll be trying to <laughs> dump into some Vegas kind of thing. <laughs> Like the odds are going to be so long. It's like trying to win the lottery or something. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, hey, I got a question. 
Okay. It's time for you and your question. All right. So I have I have like three, right? Three questions. <laughs> you can only and ask I one. I am struggling. No, I'm struggling. So I don't know if I want it to be funny. I don't know if I want it to be deep. And I don't know if I want it just to be kind of like a, uh, you know, kind of randomy, weird okay, kind well. of thing. Why don't you pick one? So here's here's your categories. <laughs> the category is, okay, category one would be just random and would never happen. Okay. Okay. So it's just all just made up. Okay. Number two is serious. Okay. And number three is kind of like it would just be a warm and kind of fuzzy. Well, I feel like this conversation with our guest is a little bit more on the serious side. So I'm going to go with random to balance it out. Well, which so one? choice number one. Choice number one. Yeah. But it's not real. That's okay. It's random. Okay. If you had to choose between a million bucks and being able to fly, which one would you choose? Being able to fly. And why? Oh, because it would be so cool to be able to fly. Do you know how fast I could get places? I could go visit my family in Michigan. But you can't carry anybody. You're not a bird. That's okay. I could just fly up there real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question is how fast can I fly? Because that might, that might have no, some... No, my question. It was my question. That so might have that. some bearing on it. But regardless, I think flying would be really cool. I would choose that over a million bucks anyway. Okay. And any of you, we need five people. If you want to see Megan, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're not doing that one. So, hey, we had um, a great guest, Todd Tresseter. Yes, he was great. Todd is a serial entrepreneur and financial coach and educator. He's also um, a fellow podcast host. Um, everything that he does is around the financial world. Um, and, you know, we had a great discussion with him around values, his interpretation of what it means to have true wealth, and also, you know, financial success and financial freedom. Yeah, and I know it sounds, this is just like a little tease, but I know it sounds a little tricky, weird, and, you know, people are going to be, what? Mm -hmm. But, I love his attitude about how he views money, money as a lubricant. Mm -hmm. A lubricant to life. That's right. And it's just a brilliant way, I think, of looking at it and having a different perspective on it. So, Well, and one thing, too, in the show notes this week that's a little bit different, um, we pulled out some of those more poignant quotes and some of the more interesting, I think, tidbits um, and put them in there. So make sure that you, if you haven't in the past, we try to be pretty thorough with our show notes, but check those out. Yeah, and, they're, and it's cool. And people mm -hmm. like to look at them. So, yeah, go dig into those. That will be great. And, hey, thank you for those of you who have been giving us ratings and reviews on the show. And if you would please do so, please skip on over to iTunes, look up Uphill Conversations. And you could also go to Stitcher and do the same, Stitcher.com. And, hey, lastly, we have our design for our Young Professional Series coming up. We do. And we have our name. Yes, it is UCYP. Uphill Conversations, Young Professionals. That's right. And we're excited. So we're almost there, guys. It'll be a separate podcast, and we're getting the details done, and it's coming soon. So without any further delay, though, let's scooch on over into this conversation with Mr. Todd Tresseter. Welcome to Uphill Conversations. Uh, we have with us today Todd Tresseter. Todd, how is it going in your world? Going well. Thank you. Well, we're so glad you could join us, and uh, you have a lot of interesting uh, things that, um, that that you do, and especially uh, a lot of um, great information, journey, life stuff that uh, actually got you there, as well as what you've learned in the midst of it, and um, we believe that you're going to be a, uh, a great voice 
to the constellation of voices that we are trying to assemble to help our listeners. So really, thank you so much for this time that you're giving to us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Well, one thing um, in just kind of reading through your website and some of your materials and, you know, listening to a couple podcasts that that you were on, um, I really keyed into the idea um, that you talk about, about honoring values and creativity and the importance of that. And you mentioned a couple times, you know, money is just a lubricant to life and it's not a source of happiness. So. With that idea that, you know, great wealth doesn't necessarily equal a fulfilling life. I mean, you initially retired at 35 and um, I'll actually be 35 this year. So, um, I mean, how did that play? How did that whole idea and that idea of money is a lubricant and it doesn't equal fulfillment? How did that play out in your life? Well, I had to learn it the hard way. Um, So I started with a myth that so many other people do. I start out with what I call the millionaire myth, right? If I could just become a millionaire, then I could be happy. And so I started pursuing financial freedom um, as a substitute for finding happiness in my day-to-day life and finding happiness in myself. And then, you know, once I did become financially independent, uh, which was at age 35, which if you could see me now, you'd know that was a long time ago. Um, (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm, I'm there too. (laughs) Oh, I'm past you, dude. I'm looking at your photo on the screen here. What? I'm 55, so okay, you got me beat. Yeah, so I bow anyway, down. As I bow down. As it's recording anyway, so <laughs> you know, I get, I get older every day. <laughs> but it beats the alternative, right? That's right. That's right. So anyway, so um, you know, once I was financially independent, and you know, I had that high that everybody would think they're going to get. You know, like I mean, ooh, I did it. You know, big success, and yay. You know, I kicked rear, and I'm only 35, and I got my whole life ahead of me, and it was all downhill from there. And, you know, figuratively, literally, and I, I went in a spiral for a period of time and like, you know, I started having to sort out what is happiness and, you know, why didn't this live up to my expectations and, you know, why didn't, you know, cause there's nothing wrong with financial freedom that financial freedom didn't cause my unhappiness. Mm-hmm. What caused the unhappiness was the fact that I no longer had any excuses for my unhappiness. Right. Huh. I was still the same miserable cuss, but now I had money to back it up. <laughs> Right. And so I had to start sorting out, okay, if it's not financial freedom, then what is it? And let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with financial freedom. I don't poo-poo it. I teach it. I obviously value it. It's 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 hugely valuable. But what it does is it opens up possibilities. It allows you to make choices. Um you know, it allows you to pursue time leverage through hiring other people to do things. It 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 opens up stuff, but it will not make you happy. Mm -hmm. Um, all the research is conclusive on this. Anything above abject poverty. If you can't find happiness, then it's it's inside of you. It's not um, a financially driven issue. Do you have people take take issue with you over that? Because, you know, and I'm just saying this because <clears throat> I agree with you. I totally, you know, agree. And um, but I I've seen people that there's such a pursuit. And I do believe it's a lot of what we take in around us. And and if you would, would you just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, if, if you can, you know, you know, agree with this and even, you know, say that, yes, this lines up with you. But that whole idea of it's, you know, beyond keeping up with the Joneses, but it's letting other people be the mirror reflection for what, who you really are. In other words, no one can look, you can't look in the mirror and see someone else. You can only look in the mirror and see yourself. So can you get a little deeper into that, um, if you would, about what you were seeing in that in that time frame for your life when you talked about this, you know, this whole happiness component? When you looked in the mirror for yourself, 
and you stop seeing it according to maybe what your idea was of what the world says um, wealth can be, what you even thought you believed what wealth could do and be in your life, and then what you actually saw, that disparity that was there. What, what did that look like for you? Well, in you a deeper you're, going, level? you're going a step deeper than I was at the time, right? So at the time, what I thought was, so I, I had like low self-worth issues, right? And so what I was doing was I was acting out a low self-worth by building a high net worth. Mm. And this is relatively common. Um, so anyway, so that's what I did. And so once I had the high net worth, but I still had the low self-worth, um, it all came to a head. So that's, I mean, in terms of looking in the mirror and seeing, I mean, I was looking in the mirror and seeing the same person I always saw. I don't, I didn't have that particular experience that you're trying to describe, but I did start to wake up to how I was acting out in my own life. You know, that I was, uh, that I was using financial knowledge, financial skill and developing my net worth as a substitute for really coming to terms with myself. Mm, that's powerful. And I appreciate that. I mean, we love honesty like that. So mm -hmm. just want to let you know, not many people want to reveal those things, but um, there's nothing to hide about it, man. I mean, you know, half the listeners in this have the same issue, right? Yeah. I mean, we're all human. You know, that's, that's the wonderful thing about coaching. You guys said, you know, in the, in the role before we started here that you guys are coaches. Also the beauty of coaching is you get to work in really very closely one-on-one -on -one with people. And what you get to understand is that we share so much. I mean, we're, you know, we're 98% the same and 2% different. And, mm -hmm. and what happens is we run around life focusing on the differences. You know, we all want better lives. We want, we want to improve, you know, for our children, we want the world to work well. We want, I, we all want pretty much the same stuff. So, you know, when I share that, it's, it's not some huge reveal because in the end, once, you, if you're truly comfortable with yourself and you've come to terms with those issues, it's, it's, it's very easy. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, that's where I was at back then. That's so what, that's not where I'm at now. And so Todd, I mean, so you're there, you're, you're, you're in this. And I mean, obviously if you're working with other people there, you know, you, you've said this is a pretty common thing, you know, people acting out low self-worth by building high net worth. So, you know, it is kind of going against the grain to say, you know, that how, how different people measure wealth and maybe how you think about um, what that means. But this idea that you can have it all and you can still be unhappy because you have a lack of community or maybe you have a lack of purpose. Um, so, I mean, with that idea that, you know, the things that you love most are punctuated by having a meaningful life or meaningful work. How do you work with people and how did you work yourself out of that spot? I kind of stumbled forward. Um, I hope that through my coaching, I help people accelerate the journey a little better than I did. You know, I spent a few years stumbling forward, just trying to figure it out. I didn't have a coach like me and this isn't a pitch for my coaching. I'm sold out. Right. So I'm not <laughs> even accepting new clients. Um, so it's not a pitch for the coaching. It's just that, you know, if you have a coach who's walked the talk and they've been through the experience, they can help guide you through the process much quicker. For me, I just fumbled forward. You know, I started going to a bunch of uh, personal growth workshops, studying material on it, just trying to sort out the issues that resonated with me as true and and trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And I did some acting out, too. You know, I acted out. I launched a couple businesses and they were horrible failures because I was still acting out. And that cost me a lot of money. Um because I was just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. You know, why, why weren't things working the way I thought they were? Cause I'd always done really well. 
mm-hmm. to that point. You know, I mean, I'd set out to become financially independent and I did it. I did a very young age and I built a business and it was very successful. And, you know, I mean, I had all the, all the marks of, gee, you should do, you know, that I, he knows what he's doing. And then I spent quite a few years fumbling around and failing. Um, and it was, it was quite a disillusioning time, but ultimately it set the base for me understanding and being able to relate to people and connect with people much better about what these issues are and how we're dealing with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and one thing, I mean, kind of talking through, you're going through the personal development uh, world and getting more ingrained in that. And, you know, in, in coaching and in development, we talk a lot about alignment and really looking to align your passion with your purpose. And in an interview um, I was listening to, you talked a little bit on that, you know, the passion hypothesis discussion, where, you know, it's this theory that says you can't be happy unless your work is your absolute passion. Um, but you know, in some ways, you, you kind of talked about that, well, passions are developed. So you, yes. so you, um, and you kind of talk about your personal story there. Uh, I, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about, you know, the, that idea of that freedom, that, that passion that you sort of were born with, and how you worked and how that sort of shaped your, your life. Okay, well, there's a couple things in there. Do you want to develop the passion hypothesis myth first? Yeah, why don't yeah, you? Yeah, go ahead. That'd be great. Okay, so first, let's credit. I want to give some credit to Cal Newport for that, um, and he's the one that really developed that material uh, to where I got clarity around it. But basically, and this this matched my experience and my experience working with clients was that, you know, yes, we're born with interests and values, and we have these developed traits that are uniquely us, not uniquely, but that characterize us. Um, but in terms of career passions. That's always struck me as a bit of uh, hype or a mm-hmm. bit of something that has, it's not really the way it works. And I never was able to put words on it. And then Cal explained it very well, um, where he talked about um, that you develop that passion through your work. So, like, I wasn't born passionate about uh, finance and investing, but I developed a passion for it. And the deeper I went into it, the more I became passionate about it. And so it became this almost euphemistic truth. I started seeing many truths in life through the window of my investment career. And it just it just grew into this deep, profound passion in my life that I carry through this day in the work I do with uh, financial coaching clients and, and the education work I do. So that was my experience of it. And then along comes Cal with this book saying that's how it works. And he gave numerous examples in the book, too. And so what you want to do is, you know, people make this super complicated and it's just not complicated. What you do is you just get go forward into an action that seems reasonably intelligent for a next step for you and then you work with it and you correct and adjust and learn from there and over time you fumble into a passion so for me it was the investing for other people they might start down um well buckminster fuller had a great line in here he talked about procession and i don't think it's a great word but this is the way he explains it and this is the way i experience it also is the example he gives is imagine you drop a pebble into a, a pond of water, you know, or a, a, a vessel of water. And so the waves go out 90 degrees from the path of the pebble, right? They bounce off the shore or the boundaries of the vessel, and then they resonate back to the source. And that's exactly what happens as you step forward into any career path or any work or anything that you're developing is you send out these waves And if you try to intellectualize it, which is what most people do, they're all like, oh, what's my passion? I've got to find my passion. I'll never be successful without my passion. Nonsense. 
just move forward, start taking action. And over time, you will start to learn what your passions are and you'll work towards them. And you'll find these crazy little niche things that you become passionate about that that you never would have found if you hadn't just taken those first steps forward and all those waves kept bouncing back to you and you kept correcting and adjusting and stumbling forward till you landed on it. Okay. And so, I mean, as you were... That, that didn't sound no, like that. No, 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 it no, was, no, no, it was just, great. I was, di- it's good, man. I was just it's digesting, good. but I one thing that I started to think about there is, you know, you, you stumble into it or you pick this career and, you know, for you, you got more and more interested in it and your passion grew. So on the flip side of that, you know, if, if you are in a job or you're doing something or you're following a, a path. And I mean, I think that to some extent you can pivot and you can make adjustments, but, yes. but if you're getting deeper and deeper into something and your passion isn't growing and it's not developing, I mean, it's probably time change. to course correct, right? Yeah. Change. Right. Yeah. Because it, it's not working for you and you only have one life. So get on with it. Right. If it's not working and you're not heading in a direction that's positive, that's working for you, it's not developing it's not growing and once i got in the investments field i knew it and the niche i went into is quantitative investing again it's a very narrow niche Mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say that's Um, that's not a (laughs) that's not popular on the google search list (laughs) no no not at all i mean even the best books on the subject are horrible they don't sell at all right nobody cares and yet that's my understanding of that world and that's how it works in my mind right and i'm very passionate about it i understand it deeply um it's changed my life, understanding how that works and how I can apply it to life and wealth plans and on and on and on. Um, so anyway, I, you know, when I was on it, I knew it. And my experience in working with clients is when you're on it, you know it. Right. Um, it's something that you, um, I'm not going to say getting enraptured is too poetic. Um, it's something that you get focused on. Like it's not, it's not something you show up at nine and you check out at five. Like, it starts to fill you a bit. It becomes part of you. You become part of it. Um, you connect with it in a deeper way. Like that's how you know that you're on a path that works for you. And with with the developed passions to to just go back to kind of the second half of of that question, you know, you talk about you were born with a certain um, you have some of those ingrained passions in you and some of those things that do just light you up and and give you a spark. So it almost sounds like it's the combination of the developed passions and and the passions that you're born with and how those work together and how those marry each other as you as you grow and develop so i would just love if you'd speak a little bit to that you know that passion yeah you know i don't know if we're this is something i don't know right we're just exploring it in this conversation i don't know if we're born with passions or if we're born with values that we honor you know or if even these are developed like i don't know this born versus train thing you know are we made or are we created Mm -hmm. um so you know self-created i I'm not clear on that. What I know is that we've got this kind of intersection of stuff that makes us unique beings. And there's a lot in common with people in general, you know, that we share, but then there's things that make us unique too. So for example, when I described quantitative investing, you guys were like, "Ugh, you know, that's not exactly where I go. (laughs) Yeah. Don't cuss at me. Don't cuss at me. (laughs) What was it? Yeah. Don't cuss at me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so it's not like, but yet I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. You guys are entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. right? We share Mm -hmm. that. We share that common base. Um, We care about people. We, 
we're into growth, our personal growth, but that gets reflected in our passion for the business that we're in about coaching, right? So we share these commonalities and I throw out this little sidewinder of quantitative investing and now it separates us. Yep. But if you look, we have so much in common. And so, you know, I'm trying to address your question. I think that what happens is you get this kind of um, intersection, but I think as much of it is just self-created you know, through your work and you start finding things that interest you and you explore them and you go deeper, you get really good at them. You're rewarded for what you're really good at. That self reinforces a belief structure about yourself and it just kind of compounds and grows. And then suddenly you have this passion. That's awesome. And, and this is great, man. We love it. You're going deep with us right away. We love it. So thank you. <laughs> um, sure. um, you know, I'm a big theories versus evidence person. And yeah. lots of people have theories, you know, CSI guy shows up and they have theories. They walk in the room, they look around, they have a theory, but then you got people walking around the room, putting little markers down with numbers on different areas. They're being directed by detectives, other people. Then someone else shows up and takes photos. All that stuff comes back to the shop. You know what I mean? And they have to spend some time with it. Can you tell us like when in our listeners, for you, when did it start clicking for you that you were no longer just doing theory, but you were working off of the evidence you were collecting for your life that led you to your passion? Um, I don't really know, Tim. Uh, as far as I know, I've been doing it all along. I've One of the unique characters I carry is clarity. Um, mm, that's good. You know, I'm, I've got a very analytical engineering mind, and... I work something until I'm clear. Once I make a decision, like I'll never forget, you know, when I, I moved in with who, who became my wife. Right. And we moved in and like all our friends were kind of freaked out. Like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> is he, is, is anything going on with him now that he's moved in? Cause it's, you know, it's like more yeah. of a commitment, right. Yeah. To the relationship. Did he change? <laughs> and she's like, no, he, he hasn't even, it didn't even phase him. Well, it's cause I was clear before I did it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, same thing with choosing to get married or same thing with any of this. I, I clear on the decision before I make the move. Um, so I'm not really answering your question, but I guess I, I just don't quite see it the way you asked it. So it kind of threw me for a loop. Well, and that's fine. And so maybe it was just a bad question. The quality of the answer is to me determined, you know, based on the quality of your question. So <laughs> but I, I will give you something to play off of your theory versus evidence. Yes. Okay. I have a, I have a, a thing I work with in coaching a lot, which has really proven valuable that people can use uh, for self-correction, uh, self-analysis. Right. Is uh, a saying from Brian Clemmer, a good friend of mine. He's, he's deceased now. Um, but he had a saying, judge by results, often harsh, always fair. Hmm. And that's kind of your theory versus evidence, right? Right. When you're working with a client, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of discussion, and then there's results. And the results right. occur every week between those weekly calls. And so if you judge by results, it's often harsh, but always fair. It's that evidence versus theory idea or um, results versus words. Right. Um, and the results will tell you exactly what someone values. It will tell you exactly what they're prioritizing and where they stand. So where this is really obvious, a great example of this is money, right? People will tell you, I want financial freedom, but yet they won't save anything. Yes. Okay. So judge by results, often harsh, always fair. If they're not taking their resources of time and money and dedicating them to financial freedom, 
Instead, they're dedicating them to current lifestyle. Then what they're really telling you is they have a higher value over current lifestyle than they do over future freedom. And it's just a straight statement of facts based on results. Right, right. Well, and you answered it. The question I guess I was originally looking to go, you know, the way I wanted to go was a lot of people, unfortunately, today, there's the idea of something. So, for instance, you marry somebody, you can marry the idea of the person, right? It's the idea of something. It's like in theory, right? This is good. So, for instance, the office of the presidency, it's perfect. And then you elect a human being. You know, that's what happens. Same thing with marriage. Marriage in and of itself, the institution is fine. Then you bring in two people. They've got to do the work. And that's the evidence part. And I guess that's and you just answered it, it was clarity. So for me, it was being clear. Like if you really it's evidence that's most important, not just the theory. Theories don't always give you they can lead you in a direction, but you ultimately need the evidence. And yours for you was you had enough to say this is what I'm going to do. Even in the example that your now wife, when you moved in and you got together, you were clear. You already knew what you were deciding. What do you think keeps people from taking the time to develop that clarity? Uh, I don't know if the thing is time. I think if we just called it what keeps people from developing that clarity, um, that's a tough one. I don't, I don't hold romantic delusions, um, whether that's in romance, personal relationships, or it's in business, or it's in finance, or it's in politics. I don't hold romantic delusions. I'm a, I'm a hopeless realist. Um, you know, you can look at history, history informs, you know, if, if romance was as plain and simple, we wouldn't have such a high divorce rate, right? Right. If, uh, if the office of the presidency using your examples was so, was so sweet and clean, we wouldn't have impeachments. We wouldn't have the electorate almost universally split down the middle, regardless of who the president is right. mm -hmm. with their satisfaction. We wouldn't get declining satisfaction rates the longer the person's in the office and on and on and on. You know, none of this evidence would exist to tell us otherwise. And so if you're willing to look at the evidence honestly, you know, like like business, right? Like people will marry the romantic vision that, oh, build an online business and you can work from your laptop on a beach. Like <laughs> we might know. even get into that topic since you brought that up. We're going to we put that down, Megan, because yeah, yeah, we're going to bring that. Here. Keep going. I'm sorry, Todd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a hopeless romantic delusion. If you go look at the evidence of the people who are successful in the online field, they work hard and they work smart and they they play the game full out. It's competitive. It's tough. And it's moving away from you as fast as you move toward it. So if you hold the romantic delusion that you're going to play with a laptop in your bikini, go home. It's not going to work that way. Well, and I mean, I think around that whole idea of clarity, you know, the the problem isn't necessarily knowing the answer or knowing what you need to do or what you should do. Um, it, it's actually getting it to happen. It's actually going out and getting those steps to to make that idea or bring that idea or that thing that you want to life. So, um, you know, yeah, going, the, th the thing I teach is that you have to have a plan based on sound principles, and then you must dedicate the resources to succeed with the plan, then you must persist long enough through all the setbacks to actually win. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist. That's just the way it works if you want the goal bad enough to achieve it. And so, and as so, and so it starts with a plan, right? And the plan has to be very carefully thought out and engineered using reality, mm -hmm. not romantic visions, but reality. 
And then you have to dedicate the resources to it. It's no point in having a plan. And then you say, hey, I'm going to build this online business two hours a week. It's not going to fly, right? It requires greater dedication of resources to succeed. And then you have to do it with persistence. It's not going to be like, hey, in nine months, I'm going to be rich online. No, it takes years and years to build a successful business and develop a following and develop the traffic and the conversion strategies. Man, that that is so, you know, and let's let's keep going with that, because, you know, right now we're we are in a time where I and I love it because um, I've been an entrepreneur since uh, 1998. Before that, from 1994 to 1998, I was an entrepreneur. And then uh and before that, I was um, I worked in manufacturing. <laughs> so what is it, what is an intrapreneur? Intrapreneur is basically on the inside. I was able to really support, like I was used creatively, like I was devoted to another man's mission. However, oh, got it. They they really allowed me freedom to help them develop things, but I was also in that spot where. I recognized that I still I needed their guidance, you know, so they had expertise that I did not. But yet they recognized even at a young age when I was that young that they were like, gosh, this guy's valuable. You know, he's thinking differently. And I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the, you know, documentation to back me up in what yeah, I was no, doing. I got it. Yeah. So that was my world. And so with that, there are so many people right now. Just everything is a button. Amazon, there's a button. You can get your Tide overnight. Uh, you know, you got the microwave popcorn. You can get all that stuff. And a lot of it is out of convenience. I want to ask you, how much of work do you feel is convenient? Not much. <laughs> That's a quick answer. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, I think the whole soundbite world, like what's fun about this interview is you guys want to explore ideas, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I'll do these interviews and, and they'll be like, what are your top three tips for this? You know, what's your single favorite this? Like everything's <laughs> a soundbite tip. It's all got to be boiled down to one or three things or whatever. And then they'll say, and then they'll want the actionable tip that they walk away with. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so like they'll say, so Todd, Todd, explain <laughs> to my listeners how they can become expert investors in three hours. <laughs> in three, yeah. Three hours. Yeah. Right. And you like, almost like, died. What, you almost died what, doing it. <laughs> what are the two things they have to know to become an expert investor? And you're like, um, um, wake up. Well, I don't know. I think it's a little complicated than brain surgery, actually, if you want to dig into it, yeah. because one is science and the other is a crossover of science and human nature. It's way more complicated. Right. 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 And so, so anyway, you know, you guys want to explore topics. I think one of the scourges of our society right now is the instant gratification soundbite environment that we're in, whether it's Twitter or, you know, quick answers and, you know, Facebook updates. Um, this, this is a real problem. You know, quality stuff is not created in a soundbite and uh, deep thinking does not occur and attention spans are not developed in a soundbite. And so, you know, I, I purposely and intentionally shut down and shut out uh, most information in order to go deep dive and create something of value. Um, I'm known for a long body copy on my site. You know, like I wrote a post on uh, that examined whole life insurance. It's over 11,000 words. It's almost 12,000 words. It's basically a, an, an ebook that I give away as a post on my site. Wow. And it, and it goes through and it completely analyzes whole life insurance. Now, the I'm I'm not trying to pitch you on whole life insurance, quite the opposite, right? The, 
but the point here is that it's a complete consumer's guide to it and that's what it took to do it right now i could go through and i could do a soundbite post like almost everybody else does i could write it in four paragraphs and think i dispense value but that's not what you have to understand this thing was so detailed that even the insurance agents because it's kind of anti whole life right right and usually the insurance agents on anything that's not favorable to whole life they'll come in and they'll just blast you what about this what about this this thing was so detailed so accurate that even they left it alone yeah they were like let's not bug todd <laughs> well, it was just, you know, there was nothing left to say when yeah, it was done. You know, right. if you wanted to be a fool and go try to counterbalance it and try to argue it, go ahead, waste your time. But I already addressed your complaints right in the article. So it's already pre-discussed. Well, you know, you know, what's interesting is that's exhaustive. And a lot of people don't want to do, they don't want to, you know, do anything that exerts, you know, the words exert and exhaust. They, they just, in a, the, those words by themselves wear people out. So see, and I look at it just the opposite. I know, you know I know. Drives me nuts. <laughs> what drives me nuts is all the soundbite content on the internet, right? Yeah. To me, it's exhaustive to have to go search through <laughs> pages and pages of crap to try to get to the bottom of something. And after I'm through 10 pages on Google, I still don't know the whole story. Right. And to me, if I found a site where I could go to a single article and get the whole story and get a balanced analysis of it. To me, that's gold. That's not exhaustive. That's doing me a favor. That's saving me effort. Right. But your work is exhaustive because you took the time. And that's what I think people miss. Mm -hmm. They miss the fact that that's what it takes. If I'm writing the piece, what do I want for that piece? I want it to get attention. Yes. Right. Yes. In other words, I eventually want that piece to rank number one on Google. Now, this particular article does not yet because I haven't established authority for insurance yet on the site. But I have established authority in other subjects and I have other number one ranked articles and resources. And here's the truth. If you Google is so smart now that if you want your content to rank in the top one, two or three, then you have to have something that merits ranking in the top one, two or three. If it isn't the best thing out there it's not going to rank. And so you have to set a standard of putting out the absolute best thing out there. And if you're not willing to do it, then why waste your time? So it's, it's about a clarity of what's your objective and what's it going to take to get there. This goes into, see, like, I mean, you can see how I'm, I'm, this is meta, right? I was just earlier explaining, you have to have a plan. You have to understand the valid principles, and then you have to act with enough persistence to do it. Right. So I'm telling you a plan. I want to rank in the top for certain keywords and certain subject matter expertise for my site. And so I have a plan. I build a certain combination of articles that are authoritative in their field and they build, establish authority for those for that content on the internet and eventually they rank. It takes a period of time. So then I persist over time developing that content until eventually it ranks. And once again, to me, what you said is exactly right. It is the clarity. And to me, I feel that is a very, um, it's kind of like if we were making a, you know, some sort of recipe and baking it in the oven, it's a cake. Without that clarity, the cake won't rise, you know? And I feel like that's what most people do. They're too busy grabbing a little bit of this. Like what you said, I've read 10 articles and I still don't know what in the crap somebody is saying. I have no idea you're taking that time and it's that shift again. It's setting yourself apart, like what you brought up about well, what it is that you let's do. Let's go one more thing. That's the value I'm adding. That's correct. It's the That's the value yeah. I'm adding. So I'm delivering value for people and that's what develops authority and appreciation for the work. And that's why they return to the site for so on. You know, so 
you get business if done right gives value. Right. Right. And then you're that way you can measure the growth of your wealth is how much value you've given to the world. So it's a very different viewpoint from, you know, the whole thing of greed is good. And, you know, how can we, you know, <laughs> no, this is about being of service and how right. can you deliver value and how can you be handsomely compensated for it? And so what you're seeing is I'm willing to pay the price to create that content because it delivers value. And then in turn, people deliver value back to me. And kind of going along with that idea of, you know, thinking through how, you know, how how you can add the most value to the lives of others. And, you know, obviously you have this, you create a plan, you, you have this consistency, this methodical effort that you're putting forward. But, you know, we're talking about working a lot differently than people typically do right now. You know, we're working against that instant gratification, overnight success idea that is um, that's playing so hugely in the world today. So, you know, obviously you, you have to have all those things in place. You have to have a plan. You have to implement it. But I mean, you also have to have resilience. You you really have to have that ability to, you know, you're going to get knocked down. So, I mean, how, so how is that, um, that resiliency shown up in your life? And, you know, how do you work with people through that as they're, they're coming up against these obstacles or, you know, they, they hear, 90% of people in their ears saying, you've been working with this guy with financial success and, you know, you're, what's going on with that? You know, so how, how do you help people and for yourself create that resiliency? Yeah, there's no, there's no secret in it. I, you know, there's a quote that's been around forever. Success is 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration. I don't know. I butchered it up, but you know, which one I'm referring to. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we we'll put it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's somewhere out there. I mean, we've all heard it, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, this is not some big secret. There are no secrets. Um, this is just the way it works, right? And so that, and this comes back to an earlier conversation we were having about values and passion. You know, you're not going to stay the course and you're not going to persist with this stuff unless it respects and honors your values and you have some interest in what you're creating because it's just not going to be fun. You know, ultimately we've got to enjoy our lives and it has to have some meaning for you. It has to have some connection. You know, I get great value from all the people that write me and tell me, Hey Todd, you've never heard my name before. You don't even know me. I'm one of your free subscribers and this is what I did based on your content. You changed my life. Thank you. Mm. you know, so I mean, I love that stuff. That means everything to me. I've got a, um, one of the, it's not here in this office. I'm in a temporary office because we're remodeling a house. But um, in my regular office, I set right above my computer screen. So I'm looking at it each day is a quote. It's a, I guess it's a poem you'd call it by Ralph Waldo Emerson about success. And it talks about, you know, how he defines success. And that sits right on my wall every day, you know. So it's just all of this conversation connects. It's one body of understanding about how you want to operate in the world. Um, so anyway, I don't well, know if that's helpful or not. No, I, I think that it definitely is. Um, and one thing that that made me think of, and I, I don't know who posted it, um, but there's a great quote that, um, that was, that I saw. And it basically was what you do today is important because you're trading a day of your life for it. And, yeah. and, and, well, and it also has a compound effect throughout your life. Absolutely. And I just, that idea to me, it's just a completely different way of looking at, you know, what I choose to do today and what I don't choose to do today. Um, so I, I tell, I tell a story, um, that has a huge impact on many clients. So I'll, I'll share it with you here. Um, so I'm 55, right. But I, I, I go helicopter skiing occasionally. I'm an avid outdoors person and I, I can still get away with it. So 
Um, <laughs> I go helicopter skiing occasionally. And I was out on a helicopter skiing trip. And back then I was 50. And we had several buddies and one of the guys brought his dad. His dad had always wanted to go and this was one of his dreams. So he came along with us that year and, um, and he was in the helicopter and he was 70 years old and he had taken good care of himself and he was an avid skier all his life and everything. But if you've never been helicopter skiing, this is not like going to your local resort. I mean, this is all unmanaged territory. I mean, literally like one time I tell a story. I was cutting through tree and these are really tight trees and I'm trying to follow the guide staying up with him and cutting through these trees and carving around. And all of a sudden you break at these trees and the hill just dropped away. Like I had like, I don't know, it felt like a 10 foot drop. It was probably five feet and you drop into like this. It looks like bumps, like at a, like a mogul field, but it's not, it's a huge avalanche boulder field. So literally the second you emerge from the trees, you drop off an edge into this boulder field of unmanicured terrain and deep powder snow, right? <laughs> like it's not an easy thing to pull off. You you kind of have to know what you're doing. So everybody has a vision of of helicopter skiing as just these big open bowls of powder. So Vic, they would tell him because what they do right at the beginning of helicopter skiing is they measure your ability and they tell you what runs you can or can't do. And so they would have Vic ride the helicopter on these runs. And he did me such a huge favor because he was an accomplished skier and had done it. I was like, it's just, he was older, mm-hmm. 70 years old. There was only so much physical capability. And, and I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's 20 years into my future, assuming <laughs> normal, healthy lifespan. Right. And I looked at that and I went, wow, that means every year is 5%. Wow. If I judge from now to age 70, every year is 5%. So let's say I have... 30 things on my bucket list. That means I have to do one and a half every year to make it before my physical ability diminishes to, you know, through natural aging and natural decline of physical ability where I can't do some of this crazy stuff I love to do. Um, you know, cause I, I do long, I do all kinds of different adventure things. Like mm-hmm. I do the John Muir trail and we just, my family and I just hiked the Camino de Santiago through, which is 500 miles across Spain. And, so we do these different things. Um, and I love doing that stuff. That's like this joy for me. And, uh, I just realized every year is 5%. And so you start thinking, wow, you know, what does that mean? I mean, how, how do people relate? So it just ties in what you're saying, Megan. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that is such a crazy way to think about that and to really put your life into that perspective you know almost in a mathematical equation of these are yeah these no but i (laughs) hey it's i I know and it's what's weird is that's not even you taking into what's not even you know there's still the you know you have the variables Mm -hmm. that you still haven't even added into that equation Right, right. Like, like every year is five percent if you're lucky. If you're lucky, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. add that part. I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I really do like numbers. I spent um, a little bit of uh, my first time out of college in banking, so for me, I, like a quantifiable er, way to measure things, um, that really even takes that deeper for me. So I love that you shared that. Yeah, it's it's easy to blow off a year, right? We just let years slide away. Yeah. When every year's five percent, you can't let it slide away. And that is so powerful. 
Well, <laughs> you, you got me thinking. I'm sitting here. I'm doing some math. I'm going, let me see here. So I'm, I'll be 47. So yeah, I'm you're probably here. running 3% numbers. Yeah, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> 3%. Okay, well, I got a little bit. I got 2%, right, to, to start working with. Uh, or, <laughs> Anyways, I'm not – no, I'm, I'm, I'm like totally into – like, well, no, what, the lower the number, the better, Tim. Yeah. Well, I, I know, I, nice to you. I know, I know you're being nice, but that, but I'm still scared of that other two percent because it's, I'm like, man, is that right around the corner, possibly? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, hey, I, you know, I, I want to get into back into this whole thing of, um, you know, because it's the shiny object syndrome. Everybody kind of gets into that again, and I know I don't want to just keep beating something like it's a dead horse. And if that's a bad saying for anybody, please don't be offended. Um, I love horses, <laughs> so um, no, no animals were harmed. For this yeah, show. no, no animals. We did not harm an animal here. I, I like that. So you know. In, in this whole thing of, you know, people making a change or a shift in their life or doing something new, okay, there are some people that are listening right now that have spent their life, Todd, maybe they're just now discovering their passion, right? Maybe they're just now realizing, like, wait a second, I like this, not that. Like, I really want this, not that. I really want to start making decisions instead of saying, can I do this? It's, it's do I want to do this? So they're moving in a different, you know, um, in a different direction, right? Um, right. There was Proactive a book. versus reactive. That's correct. Honoring internally directed versus externally that, directed. That is correct. And so they're feeling that internal things start to stir. And yeah. and um, there was a book by Poe Bronson. Do you remember that? What Should I Do With My Life? Do you remember that book? Yeah, I never read it, but I, I know which book you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it was really, I mean, I read it. It was like, gosh, like some of them, like you'd see people that their whole family, everybody was a doctor and they were expected to be a doctor. And then that person would pass out every time they saw blood or something, you know? Yeah, he has <laughs> a great line from that book. Um, it was, don't do work based on what you do. Do it based on who you become. That is correct. And that is yeah, the Yeah, I thing. love that line. Well, one of the things that changed my life when I was 22 years old was a woman looked at me in my face and she was struggling with cancer and she was beating it. And she heard me speak and, you know, I do some speaking and stuff. And um, obviously, you know, it's more, you know, uh, you know, set up and organized and blah, blah, blah. We're going organic here. But she came to me and she said, wow, she was like, this is like great. And she looked at me and she said, and I knew her and I knew her battle. And she said, Tim, I'm going to tell you something that's been resonating inside of me for a while now. And I said, what's that? And she looked at me and she smiled with a big smile. She said, you're more than you've become. And that moved me in such a way. And that is when I began. The great line. Yeah. That is when I shifted. Like I'm. So moved. what does that mean to you? Well, what it meant sorry, to me. Sorry, I know you're not being interviewed. No, I, no. That's, well, we're having a conversation. I'm this is great. To be the one interview. <laughs> no, what it meant to me was, you know, and I'll just tell you, this is a unique part of my story. If you go back to some of my first episodes when I was doing this on my own and just trying to get this podcast out there to put value into people's lives. Um, you know, I grew up as an inner city kid. Um, I speak a lot of different languages and, um, I was around a lot of different cultures. I'm multicultural, uh, myself. Um, I am, uh, what is it? What is the word Megan we were working with? And, uh, I am, what is it? Ambiguous. Um. 
Eth- what is it? Your eth- well, you have um, ethnic ambiguity. Yeah, ethnic ambiguity. <laughs> okay, so I mean, That's in other good, words, like there's that. there's no box for me to check. Okay, Todd, I I don't even fit into the diversity boxes. I can't fit into them. So, anyways, long story short, I ran with other cultures. I ran with other people. I was able to adapt really well. In my whole life, I learned to survive through being more chameleon-like. And I also realized that we all have a little bit of chameleon in us. The only thing is, that's okay for a season and for a time. But we're supposed to put color back into the world and not just take the color. And that those two things came together for me and it shifted me in a big, it just in a big way, Todd. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, I have got to pay more attention to what's going on inside of me instead of everything that's going on around me that I want to fit into. I have to define some things. I need to get clear on those things. Clarity trumps persuasion. I was spending my life persuading myself to be all kinds of things, but none of them had anything concrete that I could build upon. Yep. And that's what that meant to me. So, I mean, that was a great question that you asked me. And now I'm I'm sitting here going, where was I going? <laughs> where was I going with this? So well, I think that there's a, one key thing in here is this idea of internal direction and the idea of becoming. Right. That that you, you know, fulfilled lives that I've seen anyway are internally directed. That's the only way it can really be fulfilling. Right. It has to come from inside of you. Um as opposed to externally directed. So as an example, right, connecting this in this interview, I was talking about how I was externally directed trying to satisfy an internal need, which was freedom. I had an internal need for freedom that I was trying to satisfy by projecting externally onto money, right? And I was mixing them up and I was calling it financial freedom. When in fact, the value I was trying to honor was freedom, but I wasn't free once I had the money. I was still, you know, personally trapped inside. Okay, so that's kind of, tying into what you're saying here, you know, bring it back full scoop on the inner or full loop on the interview mm-hmm. and going back to earlier when I achieved financial freedom, but wasn't satisfying. So you, you have to come from internal focus or internal direction to find something that's going to work for you. That's going to lead to fulfillment. That's going to have meaning and, and power. And for me, that ties into what she was saying is you're so much more, give me the exact line she gave. Cause it, it was so poignant that you're more than you'd become. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's your life is a process of becoming. See, and this goes into this idea of honoring your value of growth. Right. Right. Like I have a huge value on growth and it's because I believe life is about, you know, becoming the best version of Todd I can become. Mm. And I'm not there. I'm nowhere close. Mm. Right. There's so much more that I can become. Well, and I think that whole idea of, you know, you know, you are more than you've become, but also, you know, everybody measures, success differently. And, you know, what is what it means to you, Todd, to have success might be completely different than what it means to me. But I think that, you know, if if you go one step further, I think so often we're so focused on success that we forget about that being significant and having significance and making sure that that we're fulfilling that for ourselves. So I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more to that, you know, the idea of success versus significance and, and what that means to you. Um, well, I'll tell you how I immediately reacted to it when you said it. I felt that significance was an ego-driven goal. Um, that if I feel a need to be significant, because I don't experience that at all, at least I don't think I do, 
Um, the need to be significant is about satisfying my ego, like that I have to become something in my life as opposed to going with what's inside of me. Because significance would be, I don't know, it seems externally directed. I, I'm just kind of fumbling with it live, but that's what I get out of it is I don't, I don't look for significance. And like when you were defining success, what was going through my head was I was thinking, well, that's contextual. You know, it's going to depend on what I'm doing is what's successful. Um, so, you know, raising children, what's success in that is totally different than building this business, which is different from somebody else's business, which is different from my investment portfolio, which is different from my health, uh, which is different from my personal life. They all have different measures of success. Um, so no. I don't know. I just kind of fumbled with that live. No, I love get... No, I love that. I think that, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, just hearing different perspectives, because I've never necessarily thought of it that yeah, way. I've, but I've never heard. We've asked this question to other people and. It's yours is the first yours is the first different answer. Yeah. And, and I love I love that. I that being being challenged to think about it a little bit differently. And also, you know, that whole idea of having success, it can look different to, you know, to you in different areas of, of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So see, and that, so the significance thing, I think, is us, you know, it's a human being trying to think that we're more than, you know, just a speck of dust passing through this time and space, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're trying to make sense of your life and that it has to come up with some sort of special meaning or significance, you know, as opposed to accepting that, you know, it, it, accepting that maybe that's just not relevant. Well, and it's all, I mean, it all kind of comes back to it, we're all just in relationship with each other. Um, and, you know, like one of the things that, that even you talked about was, um, you know, don't think about what takes the least effort, but how you can add the most value to the life of others. So I think it's yeah. kind of that whole idea of um, being in relationship and, you know, just just thinking through um, the different definitions. But I I like that. I mean, I like obviously, you know, like we said, it being a little bit disruptive and thinking about things differently. Well, I think that another piece of this is um, outcome versus process. Uh. You know, when you when you focus on significance, you're focusing on an outcome oriented goal. And my experience is joy is in the process and outcomes are a result of a good process. So like if you want to become Gandhi and have significance, I don't think he aspired for significance. Not that I'm some expert on Gandhi. I think he was kind of focused on process and what he did and how he went about it. Mm -hmm. Um so same thing in investing, right? Investing, everybody always wants to know what's a good investment or they want a multi-million dollar portfolio or they want an X, you know, X compounded return or whatever they want. They don't focus on the process of investing. What's a sound investment process and recognizing that the outcome is defined by the process that you create. Hmm. Um, so I would, I would kind of go and say, well, significance sounds like an outcome-based goal. And I would focus on the process of your life and through the process, you will create whatever you create. And you can look at the process and it will pretty, pretty much define the outcome. And you can reverse engineer it the other way. You can take the outcome and you can define a process that will create it. Man, I, I love it because I think some of our listeners' heads just went. <laughs> 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 I love it. This is, no, this is great. And, and, um, I mean, like I said, I mean, you gave me a, you gave me a whole new way of looking at that. So I, I really appreciate that. I'm always open to that and hearing new things. And but gosh, that is really just that's strong, Todd. I mean, I really appreciate it. 
that uh, oh, you're welcome. That you, it, it comes you, from 15 years of coaching people <laughs> on this stuff. You know, you get pretty clear on what works and what doesn't. Yeah, no, that's great. Hey, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, um, we got two more things for you. Um, and uh, besides, obviously, us uh, directing people your way, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a quote to you, and I just want you to tell me what it means to you. That's it. Okay. Every now and again, I pull one of these up, and I just want to hear your response. So. And happiness, okay? So this is around happiness. Happiness is not the belief that we don't need to change. It's the realization that we can. What does that mean to you? The first word that comes to mind is, excuse me, is empowering. Um, I think of like the idea of victim versus empowered. Um, So give me the quote one more time. That was just an immediate reaction I had to it. Okay. Give it to me. Happiness is not the belief that we don't need to change. It's the realization that we can. Yeah. I keep coming back to empowered. You, you can create what you want. Um, you, you created the unhappiness you're in now. And if you want to be happier, if that's your objective, then you can create that as well. Um, and that just comes through the habits and the attitudes that you live with in life. Um, and so, you have certain habits and attitudes that are producing certain results. It's similar to what we talked about before about process, right? Your process is a result of your habits and your attitudes and how they reflect in your life. And so if you want a different outcome, you just adopt different habits and attitudes. You're empowered. You can do that. That's awesome. That's great, man. We've not, we've not tried this on this uh, quote on anyone. So (laughs) you're the first. Yeah. Um, so cool. Well, um, one thing that we really like, uh, to kind of know, um, about the, the folks on our show, um, is, uh, what are you most three things? What are three things that you're optimistic about over the next 12 months? Ooh, um, Uh Oh, we got him. We we (laughs) tripped him. I'm just trying to think because you said optimistic, right? Yes. Excited about where it's going to go. I mean, I'm excited about where I'm taking the business. Um, so the business, my business is financialmentor.com. I'm excited about where I'm taking it because I'm productizing my knowledge. I'm putting Todd in a box in courses. And the first course is eh, about 75% built. And the results that people are getting from it is boggling even my mind. I didn't do this for years. Like I told you, I've been coaching for 15 years. And I shied away from doing products because I was really afraid that you couldn't produce the results in a product form that I was producing in coaching, you know, cause I didn't have that interaction. And it turns out the course is even more powerful than my coaching. Wow. And, and yeah, it's just, it's boggling my mind. I'm, and so if you ask me what I'm optimistic, I'm optimistic about where I'm going with these courses and what I'm creating for the site. Um, that's only one thing. So, uh, three things, three things. Well, I mean, I'm optimistic about my investments um, and I'm optimistic about where my kids are going in life. That's awesome. Thank you. We appreciate you just kind of rolling with it. Um, And we're excited to hear about those new things that you're growing in your business. So um, with with you kind of leading in with that, could you tell our listeners where um, where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more about you and um, and find out about all the great wealth of knowledge that you have to offer? Yeah. So my site is financialmentor.com. So it's all one word financial and then mentor string it together as one word financialmentor.com. And that's the hub of everything that I do. So I've got 
I don't know, like 80 calculators up there. It's one of the largest collections of uh, calculators on the internet um, outside of places that sell calculators and that's all they do. <laughs> and the reason I did that is, as I said, you know, I've got a quantitative bent and um, finance and wealth building are math, but most people don't like it as you guys you know, testified to. And, well, you just freak so, us out when you say those words, man. That's scary. You're like, what? Yeah. He just cussed at me. Make, <laughs> calculators make everything turnkey simple and they're free. Right. And then I have like over a thousand printed pages of free educational content. And I give away, um, for people who subscribe, I give away a free course. It's called 52 Weeks to Financial Freedom. And no, you won't get rich in 52 weeks. We're not about get rich quick, obviously, from this interview. Right. Um, but what it does is it gives you the whole framework that you go through. I have a process I call seven steps to seven figures. And so it gives you a solid overview of that step-by-step process and the steps people go through in order to achieve financial freedom, hopefully earlier than old. And then I also give away a free book, um, free book. It's called 18 essential lessons of a self-made millionaire. And all of it's just to give value and build relationship with people coming in and they can decide if they resonate with the message or not. This has been a very enlightening conversation and uh, we like to definitely, um, you know, keep stay in touch with you. And in the future, you know, we want to, you know, reach out and see how we can get you back on. Talk about some other things as you're moving forward toward your emerging future. I had fun talking to you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. And um, it's most important that you remember that your current condition does not match your emerging future. Anything worth having is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. And you can always be more, do more, and have more. And you will see me, Tim, Megan, and Todd on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.